0: Nothing discussed with Kumi McDonald in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition, or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals.
1: Well aloha everyone and welcome to another conversation that takes us from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and this limited series is a project of Evan Leong of Brain Gain Hawaii and my colleague Trisha Kajimura and me. And it's our hope that these conversations will allow us to have some help and some hope as we're all trying to navigate through the era of COVID-19. Hawaii is now in its second phase of its pandemic response, slowly beginning to allow residents to move about a little more freely. The order to stay at home has become safer at home. Some state parks are already open for exercise, and and soon we're gonna see low-risk non-essential businesses opening across the state. Of course, there will be masking and there will be social distancing and there will be you know service limitations in play, but those businesses at least will be opening. But while that's welcome for a lot of businesses that have already closed, or some that won't be able to reopen, and some that are simply having to downsize, there's still a lot of anxiety for people. Who are unemployed and for their families as well. If there's a positive note in any of this, it's that talking about mental health has become easier and acceptable to talk about. Kumia McDonald talks about it all the time, she lives it every day. She's the executive director of the Hawaii chapter of the Hawaii Alliance, pardon me, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and uh, she has been gracious enough to give us some time this morning to talk about what her organization has been doing to help a lot of people because they've been so busy uh, over at NAMI Hawaii. And we're going to get some insight from her this morning. Hi, Kumi. It's really good to talk to you.
0: How's your family? Hi, Beth Bethann. Thank you. We're well. Everyone in our family's doing well. There have been some mental health challenges here and there, but overall, we're doing good. And how are you faring? I'm doing well as I'm doing so much more self-care practices because of this. So I think after the crisis is over, I'm going to come out on the other side a little bit healthier, maybe.
1: You know, that might be one of the upsides to all of this, that people have been focusing a little bit more on what they need to do to take care of themselves. But as we're all being asked to do that, and now we're sort of peeking out and looking whether it's safe to come out or not. And we're being told that, well, yes, indeed, you can do this, but not that. You have to do it in this way, but not that way. Uh, life is, is going into the, the next phase of what lots of people are referring to as the, the new normal, mm-hmm. um, more transitionary than normal. And it will continue to move as we come through the next six, eight, 18 months. But for the families that you've been talking to, many of whom have been meeting through the family-to-family group meetings and other meetings, and obviously they can't happen now, are those happening via Zoom or other technologies that people can actually get together and continue to have that kind of help that NAMI has been offering?
0: So we have just been inundated with help requests, you know, people are calling, asking for advice, how can I connect, I'm struggling, so we are online, we are doing support groups, we have family support groups, we have peer recovery support groups for people living with mental health issues or excessive stress through COVID or depression or any of those things. Then we also have another one that's a faith-based group that faith groups gather together and talk about mental health and what gives them hope and challenge and, you know, recovery stories. So we have three types of support groups available. And then we also have workshops and I know there's wonderful agencies like this one right here is another webinar type of, Event, but we are doing self-care type of workshops where we're teaching art therapy, music therapy, or how to de-stress, things like that.
1: What are you hearing from a lot of the people who are asking you for help? What specifically are, are they
0: asking you to, to help with? Well, most of the people are asking about for themselves because they are under extreme stress. And I can attest to that. It's just juggling so much. A lot of them are still working, and so they don't know how to balance the extra workload that they have now, and then they're struggling with their own depression or anxiety that's been um, exasperated because of the, you know, triggered because of all of this crisis that's happening. Other people are, um, maybe were very uh, out, out there, outgoing, extroverts, love to be out in the public, and then that was their coping strategy in dealing with their mental health, right? When they're stressed, they go out and party, they go and visit with friends. But now that they can't do that, their anxiety levels or their stress levels, depression is now um, going up. And so they come and seek help.
1: So you're hearing mostly from people who were already attached to me and just asking for more help with this? Or are you also seeing people come to you because for the first time they're having to deal with
0: some sort of, of mental health crisis point? Yeah, I would say maybe, um, a little of both, a little of both, but I kind of feel like perhaps they were already dealing with something before, you know, they might've been having a low grade depression and then this, this just pushed them over the edge, or maybe they were already dealing with a little bit of anxiety and, but they were able to manage it. And then now it just, you know, capped out. Mm -hmm.
1: So as you mentioned, all of this, and certainly we can all see this and, and many of us are feeling it too, that our present circumstances are exacerbating what may have already been an issue. How are you telling people to deal with that additional pressure? What's What may be different in the approach aside from the fact that you know people can't gather and be at the same meetings in the way that they were? Well,
0: what I, what I love about NAMI is that we've already been practicing everything that we're doing. There's nothing new that I'm sharing. It's how do we stay mentally? Well, well, we get educated, right? We learn about it. We get together in community and support one another support groups. Right. So uh, we have the workshops, right? You're learning things at the workshop. You're getting together in support group and then go and see a therapist. So we suggest there's a lot of ways to find, um, telemedicine and free online therapies. There's a lot that's being offered. So we connect them to those resources. And and then also self-care is such a big key, is that we have to do all of these positive things. Not everything works for everyone, but all of the different self-cares, like listening to music or exercising, eating a little bit better, getting out and seeing birds or whatever, if it's just in your backyard. So all of these self-care practices we try to promote in our workshops as well.
1: As we've been moving over these last several months where people have been sheltering in place, unless they're essential workers and they've been out, what have you seen in the way of a a transition of how people have been moving through that era uh, of that early phase? And now as we're looking at this second phase
0: of how I will open its local economy what what changes have you been seeing in people? I think at the very onset of the crisis, we had zero phone calls, zero because when people are in crisis, then mental health kind of takes a backseat they 're just getting toilet paper they 're just getting um rice, you know they 're just figuring out things, you know, so we didn 't get any calls, but maybe within a week or two, we started getting calls again, and now people are like you know, crying or hurting and I need help. And so we've been, um, we got really quick in getting our services up and running on zoom and, you know, things like that. And then now what we are starting to see is that now that we have these programs that are in place, we have family support group, connection recovery support group. People aren't signing up as much because I think they're already seeing, Oh, it's almost going to go back to semi, our new normal. So there's a little bit of hope of just going back out in the world. And so we're not seeing as many calls as we did maybe a couple of weeks ago.
1: That sort of presents an an interesting position, too, where you're looking at the world and seeing that there may be opportunities to engage more, albeit with masking and social distancing or physical distancing, all of that. But also the fact, the fact that this may be sort of the, the wall before that the next storm, because we're talking mm-hmm. about all of us who are here in Hawaii together, ostensibly the people coming to Hawaii who have been arriving during this, have been residents who have been returning. Uh, but how do you look at this
0: next phase? Well, the next phase is, <clears throat> you know, I can't really predict what will happen, but my. In my own mind, I'm thinking perhaps there will be a new normal. We're not going to go back to the way things were. It's a new normal. And I think we're going to be able to do a lot more online platforms. This is something that I think a lot of people have been asking for a long time, especially in the rural communities. There are so many people who are calling into our support groups and checking in with us uh, who said, I don't have a car. I could never come to these NAMI events before. I live in Waianae. I live in um, Hilo. I live in, you know, Maui, Kihei, and there's no group for me like this there. So it's really neat that people who couldn't do it are now connecting. And so hopefully what we're gonna see is that this new normal will be we're gonna do a lot more online, get more resources out there so it's easier for the person, the working mom who has two jobs, or the person who has anxiety disorder who can't leave the house. So we want to make um, all of our programs more accessible and more easier to access. It sounds like all of this is is another
1: silver lining. I mean, not that Mm -hmm, we are going mm -hmm. to look for all the silver linings in this and, and try to justify what has happened, but sometimes you get a gift. And in many ways, this may be one that NAMI has received in the ability to broaden its services beyond a group in a certain geographic location, and being able to pull together a larger group much more often. Anybody who wants to join from across the state is that correct? That you're looking at doing ongoing, not just you know as we move through COVID, but also just making sure that people can talk to other folks in different groups, maybe get different perspectives and ideas because they're able to connect through technology.
0: Absolutely. And I think what, before COVID-19 happened, our national organization was very cautious about video-type platforms for conferences, support groups, and things because of confidentiality. We don't know all of the, you know, like the Zoom bombing and all of these things that we were not aware of because we're in a crisis mode, we just have to do it. We have to do it to help people. And so we're learning as we go. And then as we're learning, we're getting pretty good at it. We're getting pretty good at it. And so we're, we have standards now we have a, we have an actual hand guide with um, protocols and things. And, and so it's something that's gonna, it's a brave new world of technology. And we want to do that. And I feel that, it's, this was one of the biggest things in Hawaii. We're, we're, island, we're an island state. Molo, people in Molokai are not getting help. People in Lanai are not getting help. So now we're going to be able to provide that. And I think this is um, a really good opportunity. I'm, I'm, it's, it's a horrendous and sad reason to have this happen. But we have to, again, it's a silver lining.
1: What, are some, what do some of those protocols look like? so that maybe we can ease a few minds in case someone wants to join or they've thought about it. Uh, what what have you put into place so that there can be that sense of, of safety?
0: So first off, you, um, one of the things is you have to buy the professional grade pro, pro Zoom. And so there's a little, little bit more security measures. And so people, some people were afraid of joining online support group because I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this Zoom bombing and, We're like, no, we already fixed that. You know, Zoom's on top of it, national setup protocols where we have to put people in waiting rooms. We have to have people registered so that we know who's coming on. We have two people at all times managing the Zoom. So we have somebody who's facilitating and someone who's doing production behind the scenes, managing disruptions. And then we set up kind of ground rules at the beginning. We say, this is what our group's going to do, our agenda, our ground rules our code of conduct things like that and then some tips like if you want to be anonymous these are things you can do to stay anonymous so you don't have to show your name at the bottom of the screen or if you don't want to show your face because you have anxiety that's okay you don't have to show your face so little tips like that often help um, people feel at ease and with more of these groups happening are
1: you also diversifying what kind of groups they're going to be Uh, if there are groups just maybe for women or just for men or for teenagers uh, are you being able to stratify it in that way as opposed to just kind of the support groups as
0: we've known them up to this point so I like your train of thought because that's that's always been on my mind and it's like We are grassroots, so we kind of wait till people kind of grow on their own, and we wait for things to happen. We don't kind of coerce things or projects, because that's how we are, and um, we're people driven. And so what we've noticed is because of COVID-19, people are coming out and say, I want to help. So I had a support group meeting this morning, actually, and that's why I asked if we could move it back 15 minutes. And out of that group, two people said, I want to do a support group, and I want to learn. So, you know, we are diversifying, We're, and there's people who are coming out and saying, I, I want to do more. I want to help people who have lived experiences like mine, and I can help.
1: That's really important, and mm-hmm. it's nice to hear that people are feeling comfortable to come out and say, because NAMI being so people-driven, grassroots-driven, you know, tiny, tiny little office that you mm-hmm. managed <laughs> NAMI happen. That you would have to have more volunteers if you're gonna put on additional services. I'm concerned too about kids and teens because although many kids are still doing school at home and have a routine that's based in that, for the times that they're not doing school and mom or dad or whomever they're living with may be working, I'm uh, asking everybody about how are we approaching this with, cho- with children and especially with, with teens who should be at the point in their lives where they're being released into the world. And instead now they're being tethered to home.
0: Well, I have a teenager at home. And That's it's, why- a personal- <laughs> <laughs> it's a personal struggle. And you know, so for me as a mom, as someone who understands mental health, I, I know all these things in my head, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be compassionate and kind and understanding because it is a stressful time. Yet we want to set boundaries. We want to keep a routine. We want chores to be done. We want their curriculum, schoolwork to be done. So it's a constant challenge having to be a mom, but also then take care of myself because I have double workload and then I have to come home and take care of my two aging parents and a teenager and still manage a home. And so it's a lot for me too. And so I think what all I can say, I'm not the expert. You're more of the expert on that, I think, but Kahi Mohala is the expert on that. But I think just from my own personal experience, I think at this time, I feel, and this is what NAMI is always promoting, is compassion, compassion. It's like, let's be kind to each other. Let's give each other a little bit of grace and say, it's okay. It's okay, you know, and then leave, leave the line of communication open. And that's also a, a high value of NAMI is about communicating and supporting one another so with my teenager okay maybe he didn't get his assignment done and he didn't actually so but you know um I said that's okay it's okay we'll get through this once COVID's over we'll make it up we'll, we'll fix it you know and there's there is hope for tomorrow and I think that's the message that we want to give out is that there is hope as long as you hold on to, hold on one more day there's hope Because tomorrow might be a new day. There might be something new. There might be something better. And we we hold on to that truth.
1: So, in all of this, how are you helping him to hold on to some of that hope for being able to be with his friends? I mean, I'm sure that, like Mm -hmm. most kids, they're talking to each other on whatever platform you have decided is okay. So, at least Mm -hmm. they can see their faces and talk to each other. Most of my friends' kids are are doing that too. Mm -hmm. But to be able to to some of those things or be able to experience some of those things that this time in their lives should be providing. It's, it's kind of hard when you've got a screen between you. I mean, we watched recently with a lot of graduations that have had to be changed in so many ways that they are, are very creative, but mm-hmm. unrecognizable as a traditional graduation. And yet, a lot of that same transition into the next phase of, of adulthood or early adulthood is happening. But for kids who are still at home, they're in that quasi area. What else do you think that parents should be doing if they've got a teen like yours to be able to encourage some of that growth that should be happening?
0: You know, I'm not an expert. Again, I'm just a mom. I'm just a NAMI mom, you know? And so all there's I can a, do is what. There's a I'm lot sorry? of ex-
1: there's a lot of expertise
0: in that. Oh, thank you. Well, the only thing that I can do is practice what I've learned through family to family and family support groups. And it's just to be listen, empathize, agree, and partner. That's the um, curriculum that's part of our reading plan, which is from Dr. Amador. And um, just really try to listen and find opportunities to be able to listen and not lecture, because I have a tendency as a mom to go come on, let's get our chores done, you know? And so it's kind of like, okay, listen, what's going on today? Hey, you know, and try to listen and empathize. Cause it's tough for these teens as well. And then I'll, then I try to find opportunities, um, little things. So for instance, um, because he can't really hang out with his friends, he has, a, um, a brother and a sister. So then they're not, they're late. They're not working because of COVID-19. Um, so, they come and sometimes we go for a hike and just do something, you know, self-care. Um, we'll have family dinners on Sunday. So things like that. He he finds joy and excitement in that. And then he does have a youth group that he connects to. So Friday night, I said, you know, really encourage him. Stay connected. You've got to stay connected to your, your group because those are your friends. And, and that's how you fill your tank. And mom has to stay connected to my group. And so stay connected. So um, those are the things that I've been encouraging. As you're talking to other people who have called you,
1: and some who have kids, some who don't, some who may have been dealing with mental illness at whatever level beforehand, or who may be experiencing it, or at least recognizing it for the first time, how are you urging them to move through all of those phases that you just talked about, about the recognition and the empathy and the understanding, and the compassion, and the staying connected to all of that. When sometimes all people want to do is, you know, throw up their hands and say no.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people find that journey in different ways. So I can't tell one mom how to do it, but I can share my story. And as a mom living with a son who had severe depression, my older son, who had severe, severe depression and suicidal ideation. And I went through that journey. And so now he comes into the office with me and helps with office work. And, you know, so there is hope, you know, and so what I can only say is that what's helped me, this is what's helped me, I can't find that path for you. But family support group really helped me connecting to other moms and dads, right. And then um getting educated, learning as much as you can. And right now we don't offer family to family, but we do have NAMI basics online, which is for parents of young children or teens. And it is an online education course available online through our national website, NAMI.org. So you can still learn. So learn as much as you can about it, learn, get support, get plugged in. And that's, And then for uh, the other thing is get help for yourself, get help for yourself. So there was a time when I was so worried and so, um, anxious for my son who was having suicidal ideation. I went and got help. I went and saw a specialist who understand my son's situation who helped us troubleshoot some of the relational things. And so sometimes it's okay as moms, Hey, let's go and get help for ourselves.
1: And you can do so much of that now through telehealth
0: yes. that you
1: have to forestall it because you can't walk into somebody's office and sit face to face. So I hear you say, take it and address it now, no matter what. Mm-hmm. As you look out generally into the community, I mean, you have the greater community of Hawaii, the smaller community in which you live, all of that. What do you think that we are doing well as we look at mental health issues? And what do you think we're still not handling so well particularly now as we're all trying to figure out how we're going to make this transition to whatever comes next and whatever comes after that?
0: Mm-hmm. I think what we're doing well is, you know, it is a mystery why Hawaii has the this, this lowest death rate with COVID-19, but I have a hunch, and my hunch is that we practice aloha, we practice kokua, we have this small island community, so there's a lot of kindness, there's a lot of compassion. You know, I mean, we're not perfect, but I, I do see people in the supermarkets, you know, they're very courteous and, oh, go ahead. And we're we're showing aloha to each other. And I think that's a great thing to help our mental health. So I think continuing that community feel and saying, hey, even though I don't know you, you're a stranger, you're part of my community, you're part of my Aina, and I care about you. And so I think that's something that we're doing well. Um I think we there's a lot of great agencies like Kahi Mohalla, Mental Health America, uh, so many wonderful agencies doing great work. We're doing groundbreaking work. So I, there is hope. What I don't think we're doing well is that, well, now I won't say we're not doing well, but we could improve on is I think there are things that we can't figure out how they intersect. You know, how yeah. do we, I'm sorry? It says, tell me
1: more about what those things are that that don't intersect.
0: So we know that we don't want to have uh, people with mental illness arrested, but then, so we don't arrest them, but now what, what do we do with them? Right? So then, okay, we'll get them treated, but then where do they go after that? There's no long-term care or there's no, there's a lot of gaps in services, right? So we say, okay, we want to help the homeless. So we have these wonderful agencies, but how do we prevent homelessness? How do we work with the families? Nami's here, but there's a gap. Like, how come we're not somehow intersecting those areas a little bit better? And that will come with time. And I think we're getting there. We're getting there. But um, And then the other thing I would say that's a, a challenge is that Asian communities in general, I'm not saying all Asians, but I'm an Asian, but Asian communities tend to not talk about their mental health issues um, in general. They say that people of the Asian community, I mean, Asian Americans are less likely to get mental health services compared to their um, non-minority counterparts. So we know that people um, in my community, and I will admit, people in my own family have a hard time saying depression. Uh, They don't want to admit they have anxiety or mental health issues. So I think the conversation needs to go into that direction of saying it's okay to talk about it and And me being an Asian, I can say, hey, I'm a person who's a working professional, I'm a mom, I contribute to the community, and I'm a survivor of depression. And it's okay to say that. And you
1: have been saying that uh, Mm -hmm. for a lot of people who may not know, this is not something that you come to purely professionally, but something that you've lived since you were a little girl.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I struggle with depression and anxiety since I was nine years old, on and off throughout my years it got worse in my teen years um, and it got kind of okay during my young adulthood. And then late thirties, it got really bad. And that was the first time I was diagnosed and I knew way back when I was nine, there was something different. And I, I remember asking my mom, mom, there's something going on and I need help. And she said, if you can verbalize that you're okay. But I wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. But it didn't take till, 30 years later that I would get treated for it. You know, You know
1: that seems to be the case with a lot of parents of just, you know, you'll get over it with many things saying you know, mm-hmm. this is the phase, not wanting to see that something could be wrong with a child. Uh, none of us wants to see something wrong with our children, but it's something that if you have a child verbalizing that to you to take action, take it seriously, follow it up. It could be yes. nothing. Transitional, but if you just shove it under the rug, uh, you'll never know until something happens. And we've heard from docs that very often, until there is that that point where a child is entering an ER because there's been uh, an, an event, an incident that the parents have really been somewhat oblivious to what has mm-hmm. gone when there have been signs, and so we have to be a little bit more. Uh, vigilant about how we're looking at our kids and listen, listen really, really well, which is tough when you're out there working two, three, sometimes Mm -hmm. four jobs, both parents have two and going back and forth, especially now with so many people who are unemployed and worried and anxious that, you know, a teen, a kid may not even want to verbalize that to a parent because they're seeing the parents under so much stress. So looking forward to where we're going in the next, say, three, four months when we're going to see tourism begin to open, possibly people walking back into the state with, with COVID-19 and, and having that resurge. That's a scary thing, too, for a lot of people. How are you approaching that personally? And what are you asking of other people when they look at that? You know, Because you can't just say to them, oh, well, here's the end point. It's not like a hurricane that comes and does its damage or whatever it's going to do and then goes and we all breathe a sigh of relief. Yes, we know there will be a next hurricane hurricane, but this is a little different. This is something that mm-hmm. about which we have a lot of a lot of experience. So really what are you telling people as we're waiting for that sort of next wave of of COVID to be
0: here and what that may mean mm-hmm. for us? Our- well, i again I'm only gonna share from my own personal experience and you know I was really thinking about how COVID had affected me personally and I'm thinking, you know what? All of the tragedy that I've been through, I mean, I've been through a lot of stuff these past few years, but um even with my own journey of recovery from depression, it feel I feel like I've already kind of collected a bunch of these tools. And all I have to do is kind of keep those in motion and make sure I practice them. And I do two, three, four times more than normal now because of the stress level. But I'm like, I feel like I have a little bit of a toolkit. I'm not perfect. I I still have a long ways to go. But I think the one thing that I can do is take care of yourself. Practice self-care and be kind to yourself. Be kind to your family. Show compassion. Wear your masks because that's saying I care about my neighbors. I care about my community here. We're a tiny island. Um, And then take it one day at a time. That's the only thing that we can do. People who struggle with mental health issues, don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow is way out, way out there. Just think about right now. What can I do right now? What can I do at the moment? So we do a lot of breathing to get back into our center, right? And say, what, what what can I do to take this moment and make it a little bit better? What can I do right now to be a little bit more grateful? What can I do right now to show kindness to someone else or um, share gift? share my hope message with someone else. And, and I think that's all we can do is that take it one day at a time or one moment at a time. Cause again, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. We could find a cure tomorrow or it might be, you know, a year from now, we don't know, but we can say right now I have control over what I feel and what I can do at this moment
1: your organization and several other organizations, everyone's been trying to put out a lot of really good information to help people and to be able to connect them as we've talked about before. Do you think that there's more that you would like to see coming from our government and in recognition of what mental health needs there are in our communities and throughout the state?
0: Absolutely. We you know, I think um, we just received notice that the grant in aid has um, is going to be shut down, and we were actually awarded one last year. But we, I don't think we're going to get those funds. And it, it's okay; we can we can survive. But if we really, really want to make a difference in our community, we know one in five of us struggle. We know that the home there's a homeless community. There's a a lot of teens struggling, and we don't know what's going to happen after COVID nineteen happens. Uh, the after effects of all of this for our children. So I think we do need to have certain things in place and we need to be prepared. We need to get services to our neighbor islanders, our rural communities. Yes, we need more funding. Yes, we need more help. And I'm hopeful, I do. I have a lot of hope that things will change in the islands.
1: Aside from the funding factor, and that's a huge one, how about in the way that our organizations work together and network together. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that there are, are these gaps and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we focus almost myopically on one certain part of our, our community, whether it's, you know, the homeless folks that we know who need help or, or, or how do you network all of that? So that you have some seamless transition when you are coming out
0: of a program, all of those things that seem to be missing. That's a tough question, and I'm not an expert, but I know that in other parts of the country, they notice that when the crisis intervention team, CIT, has come into a community where they start with the police training, and then we bring in specialists from different agencies um hospitals clinicians judges to come in and do these training there's this friendship that builds in a community and we've seen so many communities then create a new hospital but it was the seed was planted because of the cit program so that's something that we're focusing on i think it's about getting everyone to the table and i know kahi does a lot of that so we're we just need to build bridges we need to keep um our communication open, I think we need to also, the word for me this morning was humility, humility, and just saying, being humble says, I need help. And I need Kahi's help. I need Mental Health America. I need, you know, the community's help. And we just need to help one another. And I think that's the beginning of change.
1: If you had to pick one bridge that you'd like to see built right now, what's the first thing you'd like to do? What's that bridge look like?
0: Wow, I, that's a big, loaded question.
1: Well, in the world, according to you, I mean, with what you see on a daily basis, with so many calls that you've been fielding over these many months, uh, seeing the gaps that you've already talked about, uh, we got to start someplace. Uh, Where is that someplace that you want to start to be able to build a bridge that you feel that we all should be focusing on to build that, that next bridge?
0: I think... Personally, I would say youth, something in the line of we got to get more education out towards the youth. And I know that there are some projects in place. But again, like you said, they're kind of myopic and we're not connecting the resources together. And so we we really need to get into the schools. We need to educate our parents. We need to educate the youth because I look back to my nine-year-old self and I think Mm -hmm. if someone had helped me at nine, Um, But, you know, I'm not regretting it because I'm here today because of that. But if someone had helped me at nine, my life could have been a little bit easier. And so I would love to see that happen for a lot of other people.
1: So if you go into the schools, what what, what would that look like? I'm really curious. What would you like to see happen within the school system to focus kids on
0: mental health? Mm -hmm. Well, We're a small organization, so the only thing that we provide right now is just presentations where we go into schools and educate teachers and students on what does mental health um, issues look like, how to uh, notice if something's going on with your friend, and how to get help. And it's okay to ask for help. And we bring in a youth speaker to share their story so that the kids can see another young person say, oh, that person looks like me. And she was okay sharing her story. Maybe I can share my story with a counselor or a teacher or a parent. And so we're doing that. But then the next step on that would be, let's get curriculum built into the schools. You know, I hear a lot of teachers who partner with NAMI say, I do, we practice meditation every morning for five minutes. You just do breathing, get the kids centered so that they're not all over the place yelling, throwing things. and Or if there are kids who are struggling and they can't sit still, let's use curriculum and put it, make adaptations in the classroom so that mental health is not just one little pocket of something we need to know about. It's every part of all our learning about how we interact with families, how do we deal with our loved ones at home. Everything is about mental health. It's not just mental illness in a bracket. That's, that would be my hope. With the way the DOE
1: is envisioning, or at least we're hearing parts of that vision for next academic school year, even for some of the summer activities, do you see that there might be more opportunity to bake in that curriculum so that it truly could be Integrated, you know, throughout what a child's experience would be, as
0: opposed to just that little pocket you talked about. Yeah, well, we shall see what happens. I I have no idea what tomorrow brings, but you know, I think it is an opportune time. I think right before COVID nineteen happened, we did have a lot of speaking engagements at schools happening, but um, a lot of it, you know, got postponed or canceled because of what you know the crisis. And so, hopefully it'll reemerge and and they will see the importance of it. And hopefully NAMI and Kahi and all of our wonderful partners will be a part of the table because we can't do it alone. We cannot do it alone. I'm just
1: thinking that especially with so much of the curriculum that may now be online, that Mm -hmm. you might have a better opportunity and you don't have to be going to all over, you know, the state or all over, Oahu to be able to do that, you could simply be, you know, broadcasting or be part of the curriculum. Anyway, just
0: thinking Mm -hmm. about that, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I notice is that people need time to get kind of situated in their current crisis. So I think my brother is a public school educator, and I know, you know, having to go online was just tremendous stress, right? Right? Even for us, right? Is a big learning curve. So. I think one thing, and then the end of the school year is happening, Graduations happening. And so maybe during the summer, people, hopefully we'll get some ideas going.
1: Well, I hope you do. And I want to thank mm-hmm. you so much for everything that you shared with us today, your personal story, your family, so much of what is happening with those people who have been calling you and the help that you've been able to offer through NAMI Hawaii. And I wish you, as always, all the best. Thank you, Kumi. Thank you, Bethann. It was so good to see you. Always good to see you and to talk to you too. And for those who joined us, if you have a topic or a question that you'd like to have us answer, be in touch. You can get to me at B. that's K-O-Z-L-O-V-B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. And we'll make sure to get your question answered. Or if you have a topic, you might just see it on a future episode of from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.